So the reading is from Luke 6, starting at verse 1. One Sabbath day, Jesus was walking through some fields of grain. His followers picked the heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. Some Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath day? Jesus answered, Have you not read what David did when he and those who were hungry, uh, sorry, he and those with him went hungry? He went into God's house, took and ate the holy bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he gave some to the people who were with him. Then Jesus said to the Pharisees, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath day. Jesus heals a man's hand. On another Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching. And the man with the crippled right hand was there. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were watching closely to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath day so that they could accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the crippled hand, Stand up here in the middle of everyone. The man got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath day, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? Jesus looked around at all of them and said to the man, hold out your hand. The man held out his hand and it was healed. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were very angry and discussed with each other what they could do to Jesus. Well, as human beings, we are sometimes faced with the rather alarming possibility of turning good things into bad. Uh, you know, for example, an occasion of joy might be turned into sorrow through some words of bitterness, for example, or something intended for the good of others might instead be taken only for oneself so that those others end up actually deprived. Or something that should bring growth and life might instead be soured simply because of the way we respond or react to people. And in fact, I think we're all faced with this choice really, each and every day, the choice of how our words, our actions, our lives will affect the people and the world around us. Will we be a blessing or a curse to others? Will we build up or destroy? Will we choose to see the worst and be negative and critical and grumpy all the time, for example? Or will we try to see the good and to encourage that good and therefore bring some growth and life and hope to others? Essentially, what we're asking ourselves there is whether we will live in such a way that brings goodness to the world or whether we'll respond to life instead in such a way that instead of making the world a better place, we might be, you know the kind of people, the people who make things just that bit more difficult for each other. <laughs> and I think each of us 
makes that choice, don't we, in terms of what we're here for and the effect we want to have on others. Now, here in Luke chapter 6, certain people had turned something that God intended for good, for great good. He, they had turned it into something that was actually hindering life and prolonging suffering. The Old Testament Sabbath was meant to give rest and refreshment to everyone. But here, it had been turned into an obstacle, preventing good from being done. And it was the religious elites of all people who had done that. You know, those who talked most about God and holiness had kind of mangled God's Sabbath so out of shape that, as Jesus puts it here, it did harm rather than good. It destroyed life rather than saving it. Now, you might not think that's possible, that, you know, the most religious people would do that, but it is possible. Being religious guarantees nothing. And I think this may be this passage is therefore getting us to reflect and, and to think deeply. Just because we're religious ki kinds of people doesn't guarantee anything. If we are careless and we don't think about our, our actions and about what our lives here are meant to be for God, and if we separate religion from the very real needs of actual human beings around us, um, then we may indeed, like here in this passage, we may indeed turn even the blessings that God gives into pain and difficulty. And that is guaranteed, by the way, to put people off of God. And indeed, sometimes it does. Here in verses uh, 1 to 5, it's about food. Uh, you know, God, God knows that we need to eat, and he responds to that human need by filling this earth with food. Uh, I like how Psalm 65 puts it. His, his carts overflow with abundance. The meadows are covered with flocks. The valleys mantled with corn, and they shout for joy and sing. God feeds the world because he's good. It's like manna from heaven every single day in this world. And here in verse 1, we find Jesus and his disciples walking through some cornfields on a Sabbath day, picking some ears of corn and rubbing them in their hands and then eating them. Now, within the first century Jewish context there, that there were two Old Testament principles at work. Firstly, God has said there should be no food poverty and that the hungry should always be able to go and pick grain from the edges of the fields. God had also, so that was the first thing, God had also said that everybody, absolutely everyone, everywhere, should be able to stop work and rest, have a Sabbath. Now, both of those, those Old Testament laws, food and rest, were meant to be a blessing to the human race as a whole and to every single individual human being within it. One law ensured there would be provision of food for everyone. The other ensured the provision of rest for everyone. So that, the, in other words, the reason for this is that if they did this, society would not become a place where some people have no food and have no rest. And clearly that can happen, as I'm sure you and I know, because sadly, it still does happen. There are still people in our world today who don't have enough food, and who have absolutely no rest because they have to work so tirelessly for so little. So these were really good and important 
principles from God and they were meant to ensure food and rest for the well-being of everybody. But the Pharisees of Jesus's day, these kind of religious elites who talked a lot about how what God said should be lived out, they had kind of spoiled the, those good principles by forgetting what they were for. They separated them from the good that they were intended to do, and they made them a religious end in themselves, these laws. So instead of being a blessing, Sabbath and grain became matters of religious nitpicking, a kind of test to separate the acceptable from the unacceptable, those good enough from those not. And sadly, we do have a tendency sometimes to turn even the goodness of God into that kind of uh, sort of a legalistic boundary marker so that we know who's got it right. It was a, the similar tendency that the Apostle Paul had to write against later on in the New Testament when he wrote to some churches that were dividing up into factions. We're right and you're wrong, etc. And Paul wrote to them and he spoke about the difference between grace and law. And Paul said, it's grace, it's not law that we've received in Christ. And it is grace, not law, that has the power to save us and unite us as Christ's people. But here in Luke, Luke's gospel, the Pharisees, they wanted those rules, which told them who was in and who was out, told them essentially that they were okay because those other people were not, because they did it wrong. <laughs> and that kind of thing, let's be careful, let's be honest, that can be very addictive kind of thinking. It's also quite exhausting as well. And the tragic result was that these two principles of grain and Sabbath, instead of complementing each other for the good of all humanity, the Pharisees made them actually contradict each other. They said that picking and rubbing grain was classed as working, and on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to do work, they said, so it's not allowed. You know, you might be hungry, starving, but if it's, if it's Saturday, they said, that was the Old Testament Sabbath, then you'll have to go without food again, I'm afraid. Never mind your need of food, they said, you've got to keep the rules to be in God's good books. Now, in response to this, Jesus reminded them that God's commands were never meant to destroy human life. So he remembers how in 1 Samuel 21, David and his men ate the consecrated, they were fleeing, they were in trouble, they, and they ate the consecrated sacred bread that only the priests were supposed to eat. But David and his men desperately needed to eat in order to, to survive, so they ate it. Their need of, and that was okay, Jesus says, because their need of food was the higher, greater, more important principle there. The parallel here in Luke 6, of course, is that Jesus and his companions needed to eat grain in the fields. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says this to the Pharisees at this point. He says, the Sabbath was made for the benefit of mankind, not mankind for the benefit of the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath, he says, was meant for the good of human beings, not the other way around. But the Pharisees, they'd forgotten its purpose and they'd turned it into something that actually was harming people. The next example is actually verses 6 to 11, perhaps even more shocking. Jesus went into the synagogue and he healed a man's hand. But instead of celebrating what God had done, this miracle, this restoration to wholeness, which, by the way, is all tied in with what rest meant in the Old Testament, this, this rest restoration to wholeness. But instead of celebrating that, 
the Pharisees started moaning again about what day of the week it was. Which sounds absolutely crazy, doesn't it? You know, but there it was. Some very religious people were moaning because Jesus was doing good. Why? Because they said, our rules say it's the wrong day. You cannot heal people today, they said. Verse 11 actually says they were furious about it. Jesus heals a man and their response was, this is terrible and we're furious about it. it you almost have to laugh, don't you? But of course, we can all fall into this trap of actually turning things that God means for good and, and we end up making them barriers and making it difficult for people to see and experience the goodness of God because they become very religious things to us and they become apparatus by which we gauge who's in and who's out. And the sad thing is here in Luke 6, these people were supposed to represent God to the world, the Pharisees were. But they had painted a picture of God that suggested God cared more about the calendar, what day of the week it was, than he cared about people and their suffering and their hunger. They suggested that he cared more about religious particulars than the suffering of the world. It suggested, it's like me, someone suggesting to you that God cares more about your shirt being tucked in properly than he does about you as a living, breathing human being. Matthew's gospel tells us that on this occasion, Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, look, if you had known what these words mean, and he quotes from the Old Testament, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, he said. God said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God desires mercy, in other words, and no amount of religious offerings, even, even, even though they could be right in their place, God was saying there in the Old Testament, look, if you're not merciful, no amount of your religious offerings are a substitute for it. I don't want sacrifice and religiousness, God says, if you're not showing mercy. And I think one thing we have to do in, in response to a passage like this in Luke 6 is, is, is pray and ask God, um, particularly as, as Christians, you know, we're supposed to portray God to the world today. We need to ask that God will keep us from the kind of attitude that we see in the Pharisees is because actually, because actually I think it's potentially in all of us. There is a bit of Pharisee in probably every one of us because it, it can be reassuring to think I've got it right because they've got it wrong. And we've got to be so careful. Can, as I said earlier, that can be quite addictive. It makes us feel very good about ourselves, but it won't last. Um, you can't live life like that in the freedom and grace of God. Um, and as, as we do pray that God will keep us from these kinds of things, what can we do to avoid becoming pharisaical in our own lives? Well, in verse 9, Jesus asks a simple question. He says, tell me, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save life or destroy it? Now, that is a deliberately simple and blatantly obvious question. In contrast, by the way, to all the very complicated rules and counter rules that the Pharisees had come up with. Jesus just asks, and we can we so often do that, don't we? We, we overcomplicate 
religion and the gospel and church and faith by all these extra things we add on. And Jesus kind of draws back and he says, look, here's a very simple question. Are we here to do good or do evil, to save life or destroy it? What's right, Jesus says. What's, what, what is the thing God wants to do good or evil, save life or destroy it? And no religious rules can override that simple question. What day of the week it is, is irrelevant. What, what's classed as working is irrelevant. What field you're in and grain you're picking is irrelevant. Jesus was getting them and us to stand back and ask, what is God really about? What is he doing? And therefore, what does he want in this world from us as his people? Good or evil? Saving life or destroying it? What is God's kingdom meant to look like? And therefore, what are we supposed to look like as worshippers of God? Is it doing good or evil? Saving life or destroying it? And we mustn't let any religious apparatus complicate that very simple, central, overarching principle. As churches, we must always have simple questions like this at the heart of what we're doing. This is really the why of Christianity, the why of church. And Jesus says the, the why of what Christianity is here for is to do good and to bring life to others, God's life to others. Now, sadly, through history, that has not always been the case, has it? People have sometimes turned God into a bad thing, both at a local church level in how people speak and act in their communities, but right up actually to a grand world scale. Jonathan Sachs once said, too often in the history of religion, people have killed in the name of the God of life, waged war in the name of the God of peace, hated in the name of the God of love, and practiced cruelty in the name of the God of compassion. Who is God? If God is a God of grace and mercy and love, a God of patience and compassion, the kind of God who sent his son, Jesus, to save the world, the kind of saviour, Jesus, who would die for us, as he did, then that same grace and love and mercy should, should be our focus, our principle of life too, because he's the Jesus that we follow, the Jesus of the cross. And that's what he was like and what he's doing. In verse 5, Jesus says he is the son of man, uh, that was a messianic title taken from the book of Daniel. And it means Jesus is God's true king and God's savior for the world. Jesus, in other words, what that means is if he's the son of man, Jesus knows what God's kingdom's about, all right? Because he leads it. <laughs> um, Daniel, back in the Old Testament, said that this son of man, the Messiah, would take up his place at the throne of God and would rule forever over God's kingdom. He was to be called, he was one like the son of man. And Jesus says, that's who he is. That's who Jesus is. And as such, he has the authority to say what God is truly like. He could say, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, you know. I'm the one to tell you what Sabbath is really about. Ultimately, Jesus displayed the grace of God all the way up to that cross where he died for us, that, that ominous note here in Luke 6 at the end of chapter, uh, end of verse 11, 
about the Pharisees discussing what they might do to Jesus. Now we know that that would culminate in them crucifying him. But in that very death, Jesus displayed the patience and kindness and forgiveness of God. Jesus did not, did not retaliate. He did not wipe us out. He carried our sins on his own body all the way to that cross. Rather than reject us, he took all our foolishness and sin and mistakes and he carried them and died on that cross for us and for our sin. And in that, we're told, is actually his victory, the victory of the kingdom. And to confirm it, God the Father raised him from the dead, bringing life even there from the grave. And I, th I think actually Luke, in, here in chapter 6, he puts Jesus' death into the centre of this passage in another way. We, we might, it's easy to miss it, but if you know how Luke likes to write, you might notice it. Luke, is, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Okay? Luke is very fond of putting little hints of the Eucharist or the communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, into his writing. And he does it at various places in Luke and Acts. And he, he often does it by repeating the words about taking bread, giving it and eating it. And he uses those very words here in verse four when he talks about David, how David took bread and ate it and gave it to his companions. And within Luke's writing, those are Eucharistic words. Those are communion table words, words that are meant to point us to the supper of Jesus, the, the Lord's Supper that we take, the bread and wine as churches. And remember that Jesus took bread and he gave it and he ate it. And what did he say? He said, I want you to do this so that you remember me and what I've done for you. So that you remember what I'm about, Jesus says. Do that to remember, Jesus said, my body and my blood were given for you on the cross. Remember that that's what defines who you are as his followers, because that's who Jesus is and what he did. And every time we take bread and wine as a church, we're sharing and eating and remembering that. We might look at the Pharisees here and think, well, they're ridiculous. You know, they're so extreme, we would never do that. We would never go to those silly extremes. And maybe that's true, I hope it is. But we have to remember, as I said at the beginning, every day we wake up with a choice. Will we live in such a way that brings goodness to the world? Or will we make it that bit more difficult for each other? Will we be a blessing or a curse? Will we encourage or discourage? Will we heal or hurt? Will we bring light or bring darkness? Will we bring grace from God or will we bring pain? Good or evil, Jesus said, save life or destroy it. We could put it another way, will we follow Jesus or will we follow the Pharisees? Ultimately, only the way of Christ will last because he is the son of man. He is the king whose kingdom will never end. He will reign forever. And his way is the way in which God's spirit will lead us. His way is the better way that we see Jesus in Jesus himself and that he calls us to follow as we imitate him. And ultimately, that way of Christ is going to be the way of new creation.